stand away the questions. In this time for this message, may we take and have a greater understanding of your word. May we all understand a little more of you through Anne's preparation, her study, and her proclamation of your word. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to our UK and European service today. It is a privilege to stand here and talk today, but I am standing here in faith because nothing in my psyche tells me that I can do this. At this point, I would like to say thank you to Paul, to Randolph, to Chris, to anybody else who stands up here and preaches. It isn't easy. Might look it, but it isn't. As the focus of today is culture, I have given a lot of thought to what we mean when we talk about culture. And in the end, I concluded it's simply ways, colours and patterns of clothing, or traditions that can be identified with different countries or regions. For example, Flamenco dancing. I've got no rhythm either. Um, is associated with Spain. After much thought about British culture, the only thing I could think of that we is that we really, really know how to cue. But that's not true of all of Europe. A few years ago, when I was in Italy, I was waiting patiently for a bus. I was at the front of the queue. The doors open. Whoosh. Suddenly, I'm at the back of the queue. <laughs> By the time I get on, they're standing room only. How did that happen? And Africa is an interesting place to take a bus as well. Anyone who's been there will know they use minibuses, and you get in, and someone else gets in. And when you're sitting there like this, with someone on your lap, <laughs> there's still room for one more, or two, or three. <sighs> if you've been to Africa, you really know what I'm talking about. Um, I think culture could sometimes be things from our past. Things we identify with. One of our congregation's eyes lit up when she suggested that we should sing hymns today. <coughs> Something a lot of us older ones would relate to as traditions from the past, either from traditional churches or maybe school assemblies. Anyone remember the good old school assembly? <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I realized that some of my personal identity was derived from stories told by my parents about the war. My mum was married at 19, my dad was 21. They got married because they, they, my dad was called up. Spent the next six years apart. He was one of the lucky ones, he came back. I grew up with a sense of pride at the courage and selfless sacrifice 
made by the brave soldiers who fought to rid the world from the tyranny of Hitler and the Nazis. But whilst I still feel that way, I also now feel great sadness that Britain did not give sanctuary to six million Jews. The number of Jews Hitler and his regime murdered systematically and brutally. Maybe there are some comparisons today. There are many isms, for example, racism, sexism, ageism, etc. I've been asked to force myself if a little part of me harbours Germanism. A bias against Germans. Apologies if anyone here is of German descent. I don't mean offence. But I'm trying to be honest. And the first thing I believe God wants to challenge us on today is whether we harbour any prejudices that have crept in without us ever knowing and that bias the way we think, speak or act. Prejudice and bias is insidious and can take many forms and we may be oblivious that we feel them. And I pray that in the weeks ahead, God will reveal to each of us any biases that we have and that we will have the conscience to deal with them. Life's rarely straightforward, nor is the Bible. I love this book, but it isn't always an easy read. Really imbibing all it has to say, I think, and feel like juggling eggs. I've got gone crazy, I'll elaborate a bit more later. Today, I believe God wants to challenge us to think about our identity. There is a great worship song which has the line, we are no longer slaves to fear, I am a child of God. Do we really believe that? Or has the world chipped away at us and we've, till we've forgotten or learn to hide our true identity, a kind of protectionism or self-preservation. Both simple and more extreme comments and events from our past can still influence and shape how we perceive ourselves today. When I was 10 years old, a neighbour commented that I'd got a big girl. An innocent remark, but because I was painfully shy and she had drawn attention to me. I blushed profusely. And she tried to make it better by saying, I don't mean you're fat. <laughs> that remark condemned me to always seeing myself fat. And I have been serious, considerably smaller than this in the past. I can rationalise it, but it doesn't change what's in here. The Bible tells us to be careful with our words because they have power. Even an innocent remark can deeply affect someone. In fact, there are very many scriptures about the way we use words, especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 12:18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Careless words can be extremely destructive. 
God wants us to be a people and a church. Am I whistling? People and a church who use our words to build up one another, to affirm one another, to see the skills and the goodness in each other and encourage one another in our spiritual walk. Let's always be positive in our thinking and our conversations. I'm talking to myself here as well. It doesn't mean that we can't have individual thoughts, opinions, ideas and wishes. After all, God made us all different and celebrates diversity. But how or whether we can communicate those opinions is very important. I wrote this message before hearing Paul's impassioned sermon last week about the wind of God blowing. A wind that will bring cleansing, deliverance, healing and restoration. And some of the things God's saying today, I think, are connected. I believe God wants to ask us a question today. And it's this. Who are you? Who are you? (coughs) Obviously God knows who you are. He knows you inside out. He knows every hair in your head. But he wants to know who you think you are. Sometimes people can build us up, whether knowingly or not. They can tear us down and discourage us. Sometimes prejudices creep in without us even realising or other people's prejudices whittle away at us. We so often become the people others say we are. For example, whether subliminally or directly, people will tell us who they think we are. Or what they think we cannot do, or should do, or what sort of person we are. Often leading us to believe that we're not as good as we should be, or as able as we should be. Maybe even a failure. We've become limited by other people's views of us. And on top of that, we have the devil whittering away at us constantly, trying to make us fail and believe his lies about us. But with God, we can become resilient and do what we tell children to do. Try, try, try again. Never give up. Failure is opportunity. Mantra in schools these days. So, who do you think you are? One scripture that affected me profoundly is taken from Psalm 139. The first time I read it, many years ago, pierced my heart. Psalm 139, verse 13. It's a very well-read verse. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It was special for me because I understood for the first time that God loved me, not in spite of who I am, but because of who I am. Amen. Amen. God made me this way. God did not make a mistake. And God loves all of you because of who you are because he made you perfect in his eyes. Okay, 
So we all get marred by sin and that of others. But we were made perfect. God's works of art. Isn't that wonderful? What else does God say about you and I? Psalm 139 verse 3 says, You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. We cannot hide anything from God, and nor does he want us to. So why do we sometimes try to run and hide? Maybe it's because we forget who God is. When we remember who God is, it helps us to understand who we are. Verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I love the poetry in the Bible. And as all scripture is God-breathed, God must be a poet. These verses confirm for us that no matter where we are, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in, God is not only holding us, but if we have ears to listen, he will guide us. God created us to have ears that listen. Do we? Who are you? Is your worth in what you achieve? Or are you concerned about what people think of you? Or do you believe what God says about you? I suspect we might all be a little bit of all three. I know I am. And that's why I am very pleased that God is reminding me today of who I am. I believe that God wants us to draw a line on our past labels. If you feel rejected, a failure, not as good as someone else, depressive, resentful, envious, unloved, or any other negative label, today is the day to let go of it. Because God wants to remind us who we are. And the Holy Spirit is here to change our hearts and our minds. And we say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come and have your way among us. Here are some of the many things God says about us through scripture. Do you feel unloved? God says you are wrong. He has loved you from, the, from your mother's womb. And he will love you unconditionally for all eternity. Do you feel rejected? Ha! No. God values and accepts us for who we are. And calls us his children. We are his heirs and citizens of heaven. Does your job make you feel unsuccessful? Remember, we are called by name and have been chosen to be the ambassadors of the king and witnesses to the world that Jesus is the path to salvation and to the power of the cross. Do you feel you don't belong? We are adopted into God's family and we are called to be a part of the body of Christ, the church. So don't hold back. Get more involved. 
Do you feel unworthy? God says you are part of his royal priesthood. Because of Jesus, you can stand righteous and holy before your Father in heaven. Are you shy? God has given us a spirit of boldness, not timidity, put in a box. Are there things you have done that you are ashamed of? It's okay. You are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your transgressions have been removed from you. We are no longer slaves to fear. When we trust God completely, we are no longer afraid for perfect love cast out all fear. I hope you're feeling this. When we are weak, he becomes our very strength. When we humble ourselves, he will raise us up. When we are sick, he can heal us. When we fall, he will catch us. When we are sad, he gives us his peace and joy. Turns our mourning into dancing. When we listen, he will speak to us. Actually, he's always communicating with us. We just don't always take the time to listen or to learn the sound of his voice. He blesses us and provides for us. He knows the plans he has for us and he gives us gifts. And of course, his greatest gift of all was his son Jesus who took our place on the cross. We have the Holy Spirit in us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and in me. If nothing else gives you confidence, that surely must. The same power that changes hearts and makes a new creation. He was there at the beginning of creation, hovering over the waters. He lives in me and you. And if we really take that on board, how can we ever feel hopeless or alone or afraid again? And there's so much more. I can't go on because the list is too long. I reckon if every person here were to add one different thing to the list, it still wouldn't be finished. Before doing this, I'd always thought of the Bible as a blueprint for how we should live. But actually, it has a huge focus on who we are. And out of that knowledge flows our response. Is it here? Or is it here? Because this is where we need to feel it. This is where we need to know it. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, of course, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. It goes on to show us how we should conduct ourselves within the church. 
I now paraphrase. We all have different gifts. Everyone here has gifts. Do not judge one another. I'll be jealous of another's gifts. By faith, build your own gifts. Whether it's prophecy, whether it's serving, teaching, encouraging others, helping those in need, showing mercy, hospitality or leadership. Know your gifts and make them powerful for the kingdom of God. Be devoted to one another in brotherly and sisterly love. Honour one another before yourselves. Be zealous in serving God. Be joyful in hope, patient in times of trouble and faithful in prayer. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud. Live in peace with one another. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 2 Peter 3.5 says, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. I said earlier that imbibing scripture, for me, can feel like juggling eggs. Let me explain what I mean. If we take one scripture and hold it too closely, we can lose sight of another equally important one. For example, if we fully live with the cuddly knowledge that God loves us, but do not act differently, as a result of that, we can miss the scripture about being living sacrifices. And if we hold the living sacrifices scripture too tightly, we can get very weary and burnt out and forget that God loves us. So as we hold one scripture, we drop the other. The art is to know our scripture so securely we can juggle them all. As I conclude this talk on identity... I just want to remind us who God is. Part of knowing who we are in Christ is knowing our God. Micah 7, 18 to 20. He talks about how God will save his people. He's able to speak with confidence because he knows his God. <clears throat> like Micah, we need to know our God. God's perspective is eternal. And his key desire for his creation is to find salvation. My little grandson has a t-shirt that says, Eternity changes everything. When we grasp the truth of that, 
our daily perspective changes. Nothing's impossible for God. In Exodus, we learn of the immense power of God when he leads his people out of Egypt and the many miracles he displays of his power. He is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. He is still able to perform those miracles. In Job, God asks, do you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Or to demonstrate the meaning more clearly, were you there when the mountain goat was born? God is in everything, no matter how small, and he is in control, even when it doesn't feel like it. God is on our side. He is our protector and defender. In him, we are more than conquerors. God is our deliverer. There is no end to what God will do to set us free. But do we always walk in that freedom? God can never have a bad motivation. We may not understand some of the things in the Old Testament, but God can only do good. His motivation is always good and for the fulfilment of salvation. I once asked God, why did you let Joseph be sold into slavery by his brothers and led into Egypt? Because then, several hundred years, years later, you had to save the Israelites from slavery. He simply replied, imagine the Old Testament without the power of Exodus. My mind went into override. Exodus is God's demonstration of power. And without it, would we be able to grasp the power of God? That is how serious God is about our salvation. The miracles in the story of the Exodus are like a powerhouse in building faith. It teaches us so much about the power and strength of God. And of course, that was also when God gave the Israelites the commandments that are so fundamental to our faith. Galatians 3.28 says, There are neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I would like to add, neither old nor young, black, Asian nor white, clever nor lower IQ, disabled or able, rich nor poor, pretty or unpoor, and so on. Pretty or unpretty, and so on. We are united as one in Christ, regardless of where we are born, or the colour of our skin, or our gender. So let's live and love like a family, in total unity, for the glory of God. Because I have said so much to you today, I'm going to try to pull out a few key points that I believe God really wants us to take away today. Firstly, God wants to challenge us to consider whether we have allowed any prejudices to take hold in our lives, whether knowingly or as a result of myself, the influences of the past. Search your hearts, and if you find prejudice there or bias, get rid of it. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you and make sure you deal with it. There is no room in the Bride of Christ for prejudice of any kind. God wants us to think, secondly, 
God wants, to, wants us to think about the words that we use. Are we complainers or are we encouragers? Do we build people up with our words? Do we need to take a breath and think before we speak? It doesn't mean we're doormats. It means that love and kindness have the victory. Three, take on board who you are in Christ and live like a beloved, strong, faithful, bold child of God. Be fearless and zealous for your saviour. Remember who God is. Remind yourselves every day. This is four. Remember who God is. Remind yourselves every day of who God is. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, our perspective and our priorities completely change. Five. Be united as a church. Let your gifts be seen. Participate in the church fully. Encourage, support and love one another. And six, let your life reflect who you are in Christ. Let your life be a response to the knowledge of who you are in Christ. Seven, if you are hurting because of something in your past, today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, is the day to say enough. Say, you no longer have power over me. I know who I am, and my God is my healer. Claim it. I'm going to finish this by repeating that the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. Arise, be strong, walk in the knowledge of who you are, and stand on the knowledge of who God is. Last week, God said he would remove the dross from our lives if we are but willing. This week, he has reminded us who we are, who he sees us as. Do we want to be a church that lives up to the full stature of Christ? Ask again, who are you? Rise up, church. And let's be the people that God destined us to be. Finally, <coughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that as you would set your, that you would set your angels around each and every one of us for our protection, lest the devil steals what is rightfully ours. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and God bless you all.